Okay, excuse me, I'm gonna rearrange a little bit. And hopefully not make weird sounds. Okay. Hi, everybody. Hi. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, um, I kind of feel like I'm in Star Wars or something like that. There's really weird sound happening. Okay. Um, before I start this, I did just want to say one thing. So um, this weekend is one weekend, and people are up in Canada. They're getting to know each other a lot better. If you can't go to Canada, <laughs> I would really suggest getting your threefold together and having a slumber party. Because <laughs> we did that this weekend, and it was really amazing. Um, one thing that we really realized is that when you're a family, you do things together, including like play board games, um, eat a lot. <laughs> um, and so a threefold is a really easy way to do that and have your group of people that you can do things with because you already meet together every week. So it's really easy to just kind of shift the day, elongate the time, that kind of thing. So thank you guys. You are such a blessing. <laughs> so... Okay, we're gonna do something completely different today uh, because Pastor Kurt's not here. <laughs> so I want everyone to go ahead and take out your checkbooks and your wallets. Get your phones out. I'm totally serious. Get your phones out, open up the PushPay app, get everything out. We are going to just jump in and become one church today. Are you guys ready? Maybe. Come on. I'll wait. I'm good with awkward silences because I'm an awkward person. <laughs> okay. Are you guys ready? Okay, you're going to give me all of your money. You can make checks out to Rebecca Jo Moore. That's R-E-B-E-C-C. -C, that's two C's. A-J-O, no E, M-O-O-R-E. And while those of you who still use checks and are calculating how, many fun, how much funds you have available, um, if you uh, are a millennial or somebody who enjoys using apps, go ahead and open the PushPay app, and in the drop-down menu, there should be an option that says empty bank account, and you can just do that, and all of your money will come to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's wrong, you guys? I'm, like, so serious right now. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. In Acts, the first church is described in this verse. So if we're going to be one church, this is the blueprint, right? I mean, it's in the Bible. So go ahead and give me your money. This week, work on selling all of your possessions. Next week, we're going to do this exact same thing again. We'll surprise Kurt. And you guys just give all of your money to me. Or if that's too hard, maybe we should just go paycheck by paycheck. Maybe you just give me your paycheck. <laughs> this is hard, isn't it? Do you feel the dissonance that Kurt has been talking about? You know... There's something inside of us that makes us feel this way. About a year ago, Kurt was giving a message and he used this verse, actually the passage that talks about the first church. 
And I have to tell you, my first reaction was exactly the same. I heard somebody right here, as soon as I said, give me all your money, they were like, nope, mm -mm. <laughs> My immediate reaction to that was visceral. I didn't think about it. There was no reasoning behind it. I cringed inside. But as God, or as Kurt, not God, as Kurt continued to speak, uh, I recognized that deep down I had a belief that caused that reaction. If I don't take care of myself, who will? If I don't make sure that my needs are met, who will? It's hard to trust people, isn't it? I mean, that's understandable. After all, people are only human. But what about God? Isn't that different? God has been working with me on this for a while now. And we're going to unpack it today and see if we can't get it to make sense. But I believe that this feeling that's inside of us that says, I should, but I don't want to, is caused by two beliefs that should not be together. This is the first one. I trust God. As a Christian, I trust God. And I have to take care of myself. We're going to stop real quick. Um, I'm really excited my daddy is here today. <laughs> His name is Lewis, and uh, he is a man of God, and he taught me to hear the Lord's voice. Crying starts early today. You guys are welcome. I'm just going to stand up here with tears the entire time. So, Daddy, please pray for the sermon and for me, <laughs> and lift up another church. Okay. Way to go. You're doing great. <laughs> Thank you. Dear Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your presence uh, because of the change uh, uh, that happens in our lives for the better when we're in your presence. And Lord, I ask that you would uh, open our ears to hear uh, and open our hearts to receive the words this morning, Lord, that we don't want to be the same uh, when we walk out the door as we were when we came in. And Father, I ask that, uh, that you would be with uh, my home church this morning, especially Lord Jesus, up in Yakima, West, West Valley Foursquare in Yakima. Lord, I ask that you would uh, bless them mightily, Lord, let the word there be alive and, and, uh, and life-changing, uh, even as it is here. Uh, Father, bless this time that we have Bless your mighty name, Lord. Your word says if we lift your name up, the entire world will come on the ground. Uh, so that's what we want. We want to see lives changed. And, uh, and uh, so, Father, uh, be with us. Uh, bless this time. Bless this word. Uh, and bless back there. In Jesus' name. Amen. Don't feel bad about calling me Becca because my dad still calls me Becca. I prefer Becca Joe, but my dad still calls me Becca. <laughs> When I was a little kid, it was pretty easy for me to trust Jesus. After all, he loved me. The Bible told me so. And I trusted him. But when I was seven years old, my world was turned upside down when my parents decided to separate. And it was almost a year before they got back together. During that time, I couldn't understand it. Mommies and daddies are supposed to be together forever. 
my beliefs were rocked. If mommies and daddies couldn't be trusted, could Jesus? If Jesus loved me, why did this bad thing happen? Life had gone differently than I expected, and that's when I first heard the lie, I have to take care of myself. My parents' actions had made me feel less secure, and it scared me. Now, there was amazing healing and redemption in their relationship, and they got back together, and we were a family again, and, and things were great for a time. And I was a good Sunday schooler. I believed that Jesus loved me. So as I was growing up, I tried to feel that God loved me and to feel that I loved him. So I went to youth group and summer camp and concerts and prophetic nights at church. Anything that would amp my emotions and cause me to feel however briefly that God loved me and that I loved him. But when we substitute the tr uh, our, our perception of reality for the truth, it doesn't last. And I remember one night at camp, I was so confused and exhausted and disillusioned because it seemed that everyone around me felt something I didn't. The worship leader was up on stage jumping around, all of the kids around me were hyped up, and I, it just felt so empty to me. I remember I was literally curled up in a ball against a wall, and asking God, are you there? And I expected a voice. I literally sat there and I'm like, I'm not gonna move until you answer me. And I did not get an, an answer. I didn't get what I expected. So apathetic and uncaring at that point about a relationship with God, it just felt better to escape. So I did. I escaped into romance books. Vicariously and voraciously, I consumed the world's fictional view of love. I allowed novels to dictate my emotions and my, experience, and my expectations. But again, when we substitute our perception of reality for the truth, it didn't last long. I got to the point where I was reading four to six books a day. And it didn't work. Incidentally, uh, just because it's a romance book and it sounds pretty and you know, it's all romantic, um, it doesn't mean that it's not pornography. And um, it's pornography aimed specifically at women because it manipulates your emotions. And if you're caught in that trap, I strongly advise and pray that you would talk to somebody that you trust about it. I know that the staff here at the church is a safe place. If you're in a threefold, you should be able to trust them with that. So please talk with somebody about it. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I had given up. I was addicted to my sin, and I told God I didn't even want to repent. I said, if you want me, you're going to have to give me the desire to pray for the want to repent. I, I couldn't even say, you know, give me the want to repent. I needed to go back a couple of steps. Because by that point, I had learned that I couldn't trust anyone by the way, my parents are amazing people. They love God. They did a lot of things right with us four kids. But they taught me that, I, that they could not be fully trusted. They're human. They're sinful people. 
church leaders that I have known also taught me that they could not be fully trusted. I've known amazing spirit-filled people, but they're people too, they're human, they can't be trusted. And I learned that I couldn't even trust myself. I think Paul says it best in Romans when he says, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I, I get that. Do you guys get, do you get that? <laughs> I can't even trust myself. But by the time I was in my early 20s, God had answered my prayer. He changed my desires. And towards the end of that period, it felt like he had actually done a hard reset on my expectations. And he answered my prayers for change in ways that I did not expect. And as he started teaching me to trust, and uh, I I started really figuring out what it would mean to not only follow him, but to have an intimate relationship with him. Because at that point, I knew I wasn't going to give up on God. I'd already tried that, and it didn't work. And so I had a little bit of faith left, just a little bit, but God really started moving mountains in my life with that faith, and he really shook things up. I have a question for you guys. If you were trying to regain someone's trust, how would you go about doing that? What would you do? I'm like seriously asking a question here. Does anybody have an idea of what you would do? Christy? Only make promises that you can follow through on. What else would you do if you were trying to trying apologize? Okay. Uh, what, one more. Anybody? I feel like Kurt. Yes. Ask what, they need. Ask what they need. Okay. Those are great questions and pretty much what I was thinking. Um, do you guys want to know what God did to teach me to trust him again? I got fired. <laughs> Not only did I get fired, but I had just rented my first apartment. And not only did I get fired after renting my first apartment, but I also read this verse. Yeah. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. And over and above paying my bills, God challenged me to tithe on no money because I had been fired but I had started supporting myself with odd jobs, babysitting, pet sitting, house sitting, that kind of thing. I basically sat a lot. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Okay. But I did it. I put God to the test. I tithed on every little bit that I earned, and I made the choice at least once that I remember between paying, uh, between giving my tithe and buying groceries. And the same day that I chose to give my tithe, I got a call for another job, and I earned just enough on that job to uh, pay the tithe on on that money and buy groceries. And it sounds so little. So, I mean, I lived five minutes from my parents. I could have gone and gotten food from them. I was not in any danger of starving. I'm not in any danger of starving. But I realized that God was teaching me to trust him with no expectation that things would look a certain way. I didn't have a guarantee that he would provide food for me in my cupboards, but I tithed and God answered 
in a way that was pretty amazing to me. I mean, I was pretty surprised. And God used that time in my life to teach me basic trust. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that God will supply all of your, your needs? Over the next few years, God taught me to trust him to supply my needs. Uh, as Pastor Kurt talked about a, a few weeks ago, God taught me that money was just coin. He broke that relationship in my mind that I needed to depend on money. And I would have said that I had learned everything there was to know about trusting God in my early 20s. But there was still another level of trust that God needed to work with me on. But before we could get there, I needed to learn something really important. Hoping that it works. Oh, sound. Hey, what's so important? What you got here, that's worth living for. I couldn't resist, I'm sorry. I really like Princess Bride. And I really wanted you to remember this. So like every time you watch that clip, every time you watch the movie, Knowing that God loves you is really, really important. Knowing that God loved me was really, really important, and I'm going to show you how God made sure that I knew that. You see, I've noticed that there seems to be cycles or things in my walk with God. He picks an area in my life, and we work on it together, and we spend the next year or two or three working on a concept. Uh, <laughs> then we move on to the next area. Only it turns out that a lot of times that next area is something that I need to learn in order to go back to the first area and go deeper. And God taught me to trust him again in the most basic way, using real-life experiences. I mean, he didn't set it up so that I would be fired, but it happened and he used it. And I learned that I do need to trust him without expectation, and then the next area that we concentrated on, he started teaching me about his love. It seemed like every, everywhere I went, every podcast I listened to, every article I read, every conversation I had with my friends taught me something more about God's love and how he loved me. And he was teaching me that his love was fact. It was truth. My feelings or emotions don't change his love. Other people's feelings and emotions don't change his love. God's love simply is. It is a fact. And over a period of years, God shifted my focus from what I could see to what I knew. And we focused on this. We love because he first loved us. I kept coming back to it over and over and over again. And he showed me that I have to know that he loves me because that comes first. Everything else in my life stems from that knowledge. And I had to understand it in my bones. Not 
the way that I had tried in my teens with manipulated emotions and controlled environments, and not in a wimpy, passionless way um, that some people would have us think. I mean, honestly, if love wins, that means that all of our suffering was useless, and that's not love. So I had to know God's love separate from everything else. I had to search for the ways that he loves me in the quiet times of, of my prayer, in watching a beautiful sunset and listening to a funny story or talking with my fourfold. Day by day, hour by hour, I learned to listen for his love. And there was even a time when I could almost, almost sense the gravity of his sacrifice on the cross. That separation of Jesus from God and the horror that went along with it for him because that proves the depth of his love for me. And I still can't get that full picture, but I get a little bit of it. And I was learning that love while it includes emotions, love is more than emotions. If you're taking notes, I would definitely recommend writing down Jeremiah chapter 17 and just leave it at that because the entire chapter is about trusting God. But I really wanted to focus on this. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. We're really good at pretending. The Bible is God's love letter to us. And it proved what I learned, that I can't trust my emotions when I feel unloved or abandoned. I have to rely on the truth. Do you guys get that? I have to rely on the truth of God. If I'm feeling something that doesn't match up with the Bible, I change the way I feel. The Bible is God's love letter to us. And it is an invitation to walk with him and talk with him, to work at a relationship with him. If you're married, I'm sure you guys would say that an intimate relationship needs work requires work, how much more work should you be putting into your relationship with God? It's not easy, but it's worth it. Sounds a little cliched, but it's true. Knowing is different than feeling. I would even say knowing is different than believing, because you can believe something that is not true. But if you know something, you know something, it is true. I was at a worship conference with friends a few years ago, and it was the end of the evening, and I was tired because I get that way around big crowds of people, and I was just sitting there with my eyes closed, waiting for them to get into the car. And it was, the, the evening had been different in every respect from that night when I was a teenager questioning God's existence. It had been an amazing evening where I connected with God and I connected with friends, and maybe didn't always feel what everyone else felt, but I was okay with that because I knew that God loved me. 
But God brought it home that night. I was just sitting there with my eyes closed, and I heard a voice in my mind say, I love you, you know. And God started telling, about, telling me about how he had planned for me from the beginning of time. And I truly and fully believe that this is something that he has done for every single person. And he made it personal with me. God told me that before he separated the heavens and the earth, he couldn't wait for the day I was going to be born. That on the day that there was the first sunset and he painted the sky, he couldn't wait for me to come and stare in awe at the beautiful creativity of our God. Like Isaac was saying, things that he'd done with his fingers. And I just, it's one of my favorite things to do, is just stare at a sunset. I probably have equal, picture, equal amounts of pictures of sunsets and my nephews on my phone. <laughs> and, um, and then he said, when the people on the earth started working with yarn and, and they learned to, uh, they started crocheting and they started knitting, I thought of you because I know that's going to be something that you are going to love. That's going to be a way you're going to be like me because we can be creative together. And then I realized that I had heard that voice before when I was a child, and I knew that Jesus loved me. I didn't believe he loved me when I was a child. I knew Jesus loved me. It was not a feeling. I didn't always feel loved as a child, but I knew it. And God restored that to me. Sorry. <laughs> and I thought that was the end of it. The end of the cycle of trust and love. His love, my trust. But it was just the beginning. Do you know that love and trust are two sides of the same coin? Earlier this year, Pastor Kurt asked us how we show love to God. There were probably as many answers as there were people in the building and probably even more. But we're just going to focus on one. A lot of people said obey, which is trust. It's doing something even though you don't know why you're doing it. They say that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. But do you know what the absence of love is? It's fear, it's doubt and worry. And I know this because the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. True love is the antidote to fear. I read somewhere that the phrase, do not fear, or similar phrases, is repeated in the Bible 365 times, one for every day of the year. I have no idea if that's true, because I did not count them. <laughs> but I know that God said it a lot, and it was important to him. Do not fear. Shh, it's okay. I'm here. I've got you. 
Can you guys just close your eyes and just hear God's voice? It's okay. I've got you. You're right here. Shh. Don't be afraid. He asks for our trust. It is a true response to his love. We love others and we trust him. And I thought that I trusted God. I know that he loves me. No one can take that away from me. And I thought I had dealt with my fears. In fact, if you had asked me three years ago, I would have said that I trusted God with everything. I wasn't afraid to die. I wasn't afraid to be fired because I knew God would help me. I knew God would be there. But I didn't trust him with everything because if I trust God with everything, then why did I cringe when Pastor Kurt talked about being one together? Acts 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 45, has been bugging me for a while. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. Trusting God does not make sense from an earthly point of view. It's crazy. If somebody does not know God and they know that you trust God, they think you're an idiot. But trusting God only seems scary when you're not looking at it from the right perspective. From an eternal perspective, trusting God is the safest thing that you can do. You know that that's how the serpent got to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. A little bit of doubt, tiny niggle of fear, and they were wondering, wait, God is keeping something from us? Something good? And instead of defining their circumstances by God, they chose to define God by their circumstances. The truth was, yes, God kept something from them. There was a tree in the garden. It was the tree of, good, of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was good to eat. It, it was not a poisonous tree. And God said, don't. Don't. But instead of saying, God is good, and even though this tree looks good, if God is good, and he said don't, then there must be a good reason, so we'll stop. Adam and Eve said, but this is a good thing. This is good. And if God is keeping it from me, God is bad. And with an infinitesimal shift in perspective, creation was cracked heading out on a trajectory that was the complete opposite of God's intent. And today, we see the effects of that shift every day. I was talking with somebody a couple weeks ago, and uh, the discussion, we were discussing millennials. And she said that they're searching for something that isn't the church because the world doesn't make sense, and the way the church reacts to the world doesn't make sense. And I get that, I really do. But isn't that the point? This world is broken completely. There is no fixing this world. It is a broken world. Bad things happen week after week after week after week. 
But if we could fix this world, or if God could fix this world, then why did Jesus die? Knowing God loves us is key because then our default is to act on that knowledge. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength. Love him with everything you have. Trust the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Trust him with everything you have. In the 21st chapter of Luke, Jesus is in the temple with his disciples. And they see a widow giving two coins. And the Holy Spirit revealed to Jesus that that was all she had. And he told his disciples, look at that. That's extravagant. That is unbelievable. It wasn't just because she gave two coins. She gave all that she had. She gave her hopes and her fears, her hunger, her life with those two coins. She gave everything with that gift. And her trust was a beautiful example of love. I'm not going to sing for you guys, but it's not about the money or my stuff or my toys. This world is broken and it does not make sense. And as long as we continue to look at the world thinking we can fix it, as long as we continue to look at the world and think that we can fix it if we just try hard enough, trusting God will not make sense. Because he doesn't do what we expect, not all the time. Sometimes he does, God is not illogical. But there are people who would say, shouldn't a loving God end suffering? Shouldn't a loving God meet all needs? Yes. That, yes, a loving God should do those things. If this was all there was, If this right here, this world, was all there was, then yes, a loving God should fix it. But Jesus is in heaven right now. And if Jesus is in heaven, why would God fix this? Why, why would there be a heaven if God could fix it? Trusting God only seems scary because we're not looking at it in the right way. I trust God, I have to take care of myself. We have to pick one or the other. These two th thoughts conflict, they do not belong together. We must decide to define our circumstances by God or define God by our circumstances. One is an eternal perspective and the safest thing you can do because of eternity. 
The other is a temporal or earthly perspective, and it will get you ahead here on earth. It will work here. But this world is broken, and it will not last. So what does it look like to trust God? It may look like one of the biggest blessings of your life was getting fired. It just might look like not worrying about what other people think when you feel the Holy Spirit tell you, pray for this person. Give this person money. Be Jesus to this person right now. Because that's more important than what other people think. It might look like knowing that God loves you and knowing that he knows what you truly need and then acting like it. God showed me something a while ago about what being a united church, what being one body actually looks like. And it was um, actually a really beautiful picture of Bellevue from a pie. And I could see all of these little glowing lights and it looked like a network throughout the city. And then as you get closer to the as I got closer to the city, I realized that all of those glowing lights were Lake Sam attendees, people who called this their home church. And that network was them engaging with the Holy Spirit. And then I got a lot closer, and I saw this guy, we'll call him Bob for the sake of the story, and Bob had given up on God a long time ago. And he was just in it to win it for this, this earth right now. He, was, he went to work, he did what he needed to do at work to get ahead, and that was pretty much it. And every morning before he went to work, he would stop at Starbucks and he would get a coffee. But this one morning, something was different. There was a person in line ahead of him who engaged him in conversation, and that person was Lake Sam attendee. And the Holy Spirit nudged that person to have a conversation with Bob that actually wasn't even about God. It was just a conversation that planted a seed. And then later on that week, Bob needed to call a store to discuss returning something, and he was really frustrated. And the person he ended up talking to at that store was also somebody who goes to Lake Sam. And that person, through their interaction with Bob, watered the seed that had been planted a few days before. And then a few weeks after that, a friend of Bob's, who also happens to go here at Lake Church, Lake Sam Church, I'm getting awkward. <laughs> that, that friend of Bob's was able to have an in-depth conversation with Bob about God and continue having that conversation as the Holy Spirit would lead him to have that conversation over the next few months. And eventually Bob became a Christian. Three different interactions with three different people one Holy Spirit that planted a seed at the exact right time, that watered it at the exact right time, and then tended it and grew it and harvested it at the exact right time. None of the people there knew the part that anybody else played. They just did as the Spirit told them to do. They looked for it, they found it, and they acted on it. So what does it look like when I trust God now? Well, it turns out that it looks pretty much the same as normal life. I go to work, I go to church, I hang out with my friends, I try new things, I have fun. 
I have a lot of fun. But when I trust God, there's a little extra because I'm actively listening to the Holy Spirit, partnering with him and engaging with him, looking for that little moment when he would have me do something. Smile at somebody, give someone a hug, engage somebody in a conversation. No day is ever the same. It's not boring to be partnered with the Holy Spirit. And when we are led by the Holy Spirit, we retain our individuality. A unified church does not mean that everyone is the same. It means that everyone is vital. It means that we all have different jobs for each of us. I can do things that you can't do. You can do things that I can't do. But together we can do things in a well-choreographed dance when we're in sync with the Holy Spirit. Do we need to do what the first church did? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We need to trust God in exactly the same way that the first church trusted God. He may even ask you to sell all of your belongings and become a missionary. But, no. We do not need to do things the exact same way that the, whole, that the first church did them. Because that may not be God's plan for us. We don't have to be identical to that. We don't have to be identical to each other. We just need to make the same decision to watch for the leading of the Holy Spirit and respond to the moment. We don't have to be perfect. That's where God's grace comes in. We just have to show up and listen and move. So, will you choose to trust yourself or will you choose to trust God? That's it, thank you. Wow, right? Wow. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being open. Thank you for trusting God. That was awesome. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Becca Joe. Thank you for that sermon. I pray that it would, it would seep into our hearts the way it touched us in the moment. Lord, if we're being honest, we don't actually trust you. That's the point of this thing, right? We don't actually believe you, but we want to. I felt as Becca Jo was praying, or as she was giving the sermon, that uh, what was in my heart was, was the, the man that, that came to Jesus and said, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I actually don't trust you that well, but I want to. So I'm asking you, God, to help us. Help us to get this right. Help us to trust you. Lord, help us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in to not be defined by that and not to choose that you've suddenly changed because of our circumstances. Let's recognize you and that you're true and that you're eternal and that you're unchanging and that you're loving and that you're the Father and that you're a creator. 
all of those things that you are and let those impact our circumstances. Reach in front of you and grab the two cups. Rebecca Joe asked us, how do we know that we can trust God? There's a pretty obvious way. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. How do we get this right? Oh, we don't have to. He did it for us. So go ahead and separate the two cups and hold up the cup with the bread in it. And God, we recognize that because of our distrust, because of our choosing to go another way, because of my sin, because of our sin, we've broken your body. So we stick our fingers in the cup and we crush that bread as a symbolism for the fact that we, our lives, our sin has, is what caused you to be crushed on the cross. And so as we take this cup, we recognize that it's our sin, but we also recognize that our sin is nailed to the cross with you. So take that cup right now. God, you said, this is my blood. And I love that you've created this model, Jesus, where you uh, emphasize your death and you emphasize the fact that we've crushed you, but then you emphasize that your blood cleanses us in this pattern that you've established through the Passover in the Old Testament, that the blood actually makes things clean. And so we lift this cup to say, you've cleansed us. That sin that's entangled us, entangles us no more. That death that we were a slave to, we are a slave to that no longer. We are free. We're free to trust you. We're free to choose you. And we're free to receive your love. So we receive this cup as a symbolism of that. So go ahead and take the cup. Thank you, ushers, for coming forward.